You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. It was one of those summers. It was this endless day of beautiful, blissful, free childhood summer. And this one happened. The greatest club ever formed. It happened in my dad's backyard. He did stick bushes that were up against the back fence. And we went and uh, we cut a path through them. And we built a clubhouse. It was like this shack. It was just big enough for us to sit in. It was, uh, it was, it was Carl and John and Kenny and uh, Jason. That's my brother and me, the five of us. And we were going to start the greatest club ever formed. And you know what it was? Did I say the name of it? Wait for it. I can tell you now. It's a secret. Don't tell anybody if I tell you, okay? But this is it. It was the tree climbing club. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, right? Awesome, right? Tree climbing club. Um, we, uh, our mission was to climb all the trees that was our goal we literally had this goal don't don't cut us short like we did other things we would uh climb fences and poles and basketball goals ladders we'd get on people's garages on their houses old ladies were like get away from my chimney but we would climb it uh now the thing is uh we we had a pretty uh big companionship there we even had a trophy for tree climber of the month yeah it wasn't like a real it was one of Carl's dad's old bowling trophies, but he didn't know we had it. But we kept it back in the shack, and uh, and me and Carl were the oldest two kids, so we just basically took turns being the best climber. Um, but yeah, we were fair to the little guys. We let them hand it to us. And uh, those were the days, man. And, and But see, we were nothing if it wasn't for our manifesto. It wasn't for our constitution, our declaration, our creed. Um, and this is what it was. It was two parts. There were two parts to our, to our creed, and it was uh, rule number one, climb trees. That was rule number one. Rule number two, no girls allowed. Simple. The days were simple, but that's how we lived our life. Man, I don't know how it was when you were growing up. Did you have a club, like clubhouse, treehouse, some people like Blood Brothers or somebody? Uh, girls do weird stuff I don't even want to know about. I got a daughter. I'm like, sleepovers are scary. I don't know what happened to those things, but stuff gets put in the freezer. I'm not even sure what goes on with that. Like, the, there, there's this kind of thing. We're like Huck Finn and, and, and Tom Sawyer, you know. We're just running all over the wilderness. We're free as we can be. And we're centrally uh, unified under uh, like a, a, a simple plea. And whatever it is, it's a common thing. We do this in, in society as adults. Uh, we, we organize ourselves, don't we? We organize ourselves based on a lot of different things, by economics, by socioeconomic st- statuses, uh, by nationality, uh, racial groups, as we like to call them, where we live in the community, your education level. Like, there's all kinds of things. I know for a fact that some of my friends will stop liking me about the time football season starts, for example. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and some of you guys aren't, you haven't come to the light yet. And so I know that there will be a day where a lot of the people just will you either love us or you just don't talk to us until playoffs are over. Or the Super Bowl, if that happens, I'm crossing my fingers. You know, like we arrange ourselves. I had to jab that in because last week somebody took a cut. It was Neil. He was on stage, and I, I meant to come and jab back at the Redskins, but I totally forgot. Sorry, Paul. Um... And everybody else who still needs Jesus. Um, but uh, we, uh, you know, we, we organize ourselves in these, these, these groups based on different things that we have in common. Um, but it, it's always around some central unifying idea. I was joking, but let me be serious now. When you get, uh, maybe you join a more formal club. Like uh, as, a, as a kid, you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. Maybe in high school, you were uh, part of the, um, what do they call it, uh, Future Business Leaders of America or Students Against Drunk Driving or one of those clubs like that, you know. And there's, there's a foundational creed to what you're all about. This is why we meet. And, and if we're not meeting for this reading, then reason, then it's really not that club, is it? It's something else. It's not why we're meeting. Each of these organizing organizations is about mobilizing people around a central, simple concept. 
I say all that to bring us to a word. And the, the word is manifesto. You've heard it several times already this morning. Manifesto. I found a definition for manifesto this week that I really liked. Uh, let's look at it. It says, a manifesto is a public declaration of intentions, opinions, objectives, or motives. Take that in. Like, what is a manifesto? This is what we're all about. What are you all about? What is your manifesto for your life? It's a question that only you can answer. Manifesto. As a church family, we've got a three-part goal, and I say it as often as I can, and, and it's interesting having uh, phrases like this that they don't just become diluted, and we just say them all the time, but they have to have meat behind them. We have a three-part goal, and Neil Allegood spoke last week, and he nailed, he nailed one of them down really good. The first one is being, you guys say it with me, what's the first one? Be a God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent. It's pretty simple. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent. Neil actually kicked us off and, or teed us up pretty good to get going when he talked about chase what matters. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent. And this is not something that we just came with our church and said, hey, this is a cool phrase, let's put it on t-shirts and talk about it on the internet. Uh, it actually comes from a lot of things that Jesus said. Uh, and I could pull up a lot of different scriptures, but what I want to do is show you one uh, that really solidifies it for me in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to look this one up. Uh, we'll be reading some more in the Bible in a minute. But just Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says this after someone asks him, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? What should we do? If we do anything, Jesus, what should we do? This is what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's being a God chaser. Grace shaped is something we're going to talk about next week. But really, you can't fully appreciate that unless you understand God's grace. He allows us to have that, that relationship with Him. And then He gives us a freebie in verse 31. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And so that's the idea of being a love agent. God's pouring this stuff into our life. He's giving us the grace to live in this place. And so we want to pour it out into other people's lives and shine the light of God into dark corners of the world. We say it all the time, but this is more than just a slogan. It's a manifesto. This is who we are. This is a public declaration of what we believe, what we intend to do, what our motives will be as we move forward. And so uh, at Venture Church, I, I love to be able to say that we love to look in the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. We can look for answers a lot of different places, but if we don't find it in the Bible, uh, we, we, we may be barking up the wrong tree. I just want to plug this. Maybe you've got questions about the Bible. You're not sure if the Bible is fully reliable. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've, you've got a, a good company of people to join you in that. And uh, I want to let you know that personally I do believe that the Bible is totally reliable, that it was inspired by God, and that it's historically uh, and archaeolog archaeologically backed up and reliable. We offer a class uh, it'll be coming in the fall called Venture Basics, where we spend a good amount of time talking about some basic reasons why the Bible is reliable. That's just actually just one week of the course. If you're interested in learning more about that, please take a second for that, that uh, connection card that was in your seat and check that. I want to know more about Venture Basics, and we'll send you an email when it's coming. But we're going to look at the Bible, and, um, you know, it's funny because when you come to church for long, you hear about 10 Bible stories, and you're like, are those the only 10 Bible stories in the Bible? Because... It's, this Bible is really thick, and it's like not all about David and Goliath. There's got to be something else in here. What I want to do today is take a look at some people in the Bible, some figures in the Bible that we don't talk about very often, one of whom is probably one of the greatest figures in the Bible, in my opinion. Uh, I grew up in a, in a little old country church, and, um, and uh, my, my Sunday school teacher was awesome. Went there on Sunday mornings, and uh, this is before the Internet. This is before uh, we barely had plumbing in that place. And, uh, and she used an amazing thing called flannel graph. Did anybody have flannel graph as a kid? Yeah. Hallelujah. I think Jesus taught the disciples with flannel graph. Um, but what, I don't have flannel graph, but I've made you something this morning that I want to use as kind of a, a visual illustration. Can y'all see that? Y'all read that? 
says Ahaz. When I was trying to talk to my phone and voice dictate some notes, uh, it was trying to say Ahaz. Ahaz. Who is Ahaz? And this says Hezekiah. Let me introduce you to these two guys. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings. So if you've got your Bible, go and turn to 2 Kings. Uh, we will have the Bible here up on the uh, screen behind me. And I want to let you know we give away Bibles for free every week. So if you've got, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, Take one with you today. The ones laying on the ground as, under your chairs are available. Uh, you can speak to one of the volunteers near the coffee. They could help you out as well. Or if you have an older version of the Bible that's maybe harder to read because it was um, in an older form of English, by all means, take a readable version of the Bible. I want to introduce you to Ahaz and Hezekiah. We're going to be in 2 Kings. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 16. And let me introduce you guys to this like this. First of all, flannel graph has to involve pieces that move. Uh, Ahaz was the king. You follow me? He was the king. He was the king of, uh, of a, a, a kingdom called Judah. Um, in the time of Ahaz, the nation of Israel had kind of gone through a lot of troubles. They had split uh, north and south, much like America during the Civil War. And so you've got north and south, and, and there are various reasons why that was happening, mostly because we're all idiots as humans and we can't get along. That's basically, if you want to summarize why that happened, that's what went on there. But there's two kingdoms now. Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom is called Israel, if you're taking notes. And so uh, Ahaz is king. All right, so that's why he's got a crown there. Uh, one thing that you need to know about Ahaz uh, is that he was a bad daddy. He had a son named Hezekiah. This is him over here. Hezekiah had a rough childhood because Ahaz wasn't a very great dad. And I'm not just drawing lines around him and trying to judge him. Uh, no, it's pretty definitive that he was a bad dad. Uh, he did terrible things. Uh, I want to take a look at his introduction in Second Kings uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 2. And let's just get the Bible's introduction to this guy Ahaz. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became the king. Wow. What were you doing when you were 20 years old? He reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Unlike David, his father, really his forefather, that wasn't his actual father, but like his great-great-great-grandfather. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel. He even sacrificed his son in the fire. We'll talk about that in a second. Engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places and on hilltops and under every spreading tree. There's a lot to unpack here, but I got some more flannel graph for you. Ahaz was a bad king. That's a frowny face if you can't see it. Ahaz was a bad king, and for various reasons, uh, give you a snapshot of what's going on in world history right now. The big dogs on campus on the world stage are the Assyrians. The Assyrians have built this massive empire in the Middle East, and they are mowing down anyone that stands in their way. And you basically have two options. Submit to us as a vassal nation, which means that you'll pay taxes and tributes to us, you'll fight in our army, and bow down to us and do whatever we say and lose all of your autonomy. That's option A. Option B is... We will burn and kill everything that moves. I'm not exaggerating. These were ferocious people. They had this reign of terror. If you read about the Assyrians, I don't, I don't want to go too deep in it because it's actually really dark and terrible. But if you read about the Assyrians and the way that they treated people, you know ISIS, that's a, a fear in our world today? The Assyrians kind of make ISIS look like they're not even trying. And I'm not just saying that lightly. I mean, they were, they were terrible. The things they did to children to torture them. They did heinous things to pregnant women just to make their point. This is a terrible group of people. And so they're mowing down everybody around. And so you've got two options, either bow down or be destroyed. Well, Ahaz, like any king, is terrified of the Assyrians. I mean, what do I do? I mean, I don't want to get destroyed, but I don't want to bow down. He chooses to bow down. 
But in the process, he decides to throw out everything that his nation was all about. The nation of Israel was a nation built by God, literally. If you read through it in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is the history of the nation of Israel, God hand-selects this guy Abraham and says to him, I'm going to build a great people out of you. And the nation of Israel is the response to that promise. So this is a nation built by God. It's not just some other nation. Nations rise and fall. It happens all the time. This is a very special nation marked by God. But through the course of Ahaz's uh, life and the generations leading up before him, the people of Israel had turned their back on God so deliberately that God said, fine, I'm going to take my hand of blessing away from you. And I'm going to let whatever happens happen. He calls the Assyrians his instrument of justice. I'm going to let that happen. As a result, Ahaz is one of the people growing up in this nation, and he has turned his back on God as well. It says that he worshipped, uh, if you look back, we can put the verse back up there real quick. Uh, in verse 3, it says he followed the ways of the kings uh, of Israel, who were the kings who lived before him, who did the same stuff. Uh, they even sacrificed his son in a fire. There were three local deities that the Assyrians worshipped. Uh, they were demonic idols, and they went by the names of Baal, some call him Baal, Asherah, and Moloch. At least two of these had rituals in which you would sacrifice your children to get their blessing. This is not a happy group of people. This is a terrified group of people. And Ahaz has found himself among them. Since he's going to the high places, he's worshiping under the sacred trees. He has even given one of his children to the fire. He's not chasing God. He's somewhere else doing something else. Hezekiah grew up in a bad home. His dad... Sacrifice his brother. I want to look at what happens in the life of Ahaz in Second Kings seventeen. Um, this is the this is this is the writer, and he's talking about what's happening to the general people in the, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. It says, but they would not listen to God. They were stiff-necked people, just like their ancestors, who did not trust in their Lord, their God. They rejected his decrees, the covenant he made with their ancestors. We're talking about Abraham and Moses and these people who came before, if you know of those people. And the statutes that he warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them. Although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And then verse 20, we'll skip ahead a few verses. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and he gave them into the hands of the plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. This is a nation built by God. And sometimes we look at God and we're like, God, how many times, you know, can't you come help? Can't you help? If you look through the Old Testament, it's amazing how many times God sent some help. Over and over and over. He sees these people called judges who are there to basically lead as generals and, and, and as a kind of, kind of a conscience for the people. He sends these prophets time and time again to speak to the leaders. There are some godly kings. There were only a couple. But there are some godly kings. But time and time again, the people basically say, ah, but we're looking over the hill and our neighbors are doing some pretty cool things. The way, the way that, the, that the other nations would worship involved all kinds of mm, sexual immorality as an act of worship. And that kind of looked kind of cool to them. And, and also, you know, the trend of just wanting to kind of fit in. This is an interesting thing about Jerusalem, uh, the nation of Israel and, and the, their, their capital, Jerusalem. They had a temple and they worshiped there. That was the centralization of worship for all people because God says, I am one. I'm one God and everyone can just worship me. In the pagan religions, what they did was they would carve little idols and they put them all over the place. And one thing the outside nations would often say is, what does your God look like? We worship something that we can see. You worship something that you can't see. You know what God says about that? 
no, no, no. You worship something made out of wood. <laughs> you made that. I want you to worship me, which you cannot make. But they weren't willing to bow down to God, so they turned their back on him, and he said, you know, I tried and I tried and I tried, but if that's the way you want it, fine. You can have it that way. I love you enough to let you walk away. Now, the thing about Ahaz's reign is it looks like the end for the nation of Israel. Actually, as you read the story, it kind of looks like maybe that's it. Assyria is going to take over and it's going to be over. And then a, a really good thing happens. It's an awesome thing. It's going to sound funny when I say it, but it's actually a really awesome thing. You know what happens? Ahaz dies. Like, you don't want to talk about people dying as a good thing, but sometimes it is. Like, you know those people, right? And Ahaz dies and he's bad for the nation. He's no longer the king. And as, as is typical, what happens? His son becomes the king. Enter Hezekiah. He's the new king. Let's check out his introduction in 2 Kings chapter 18. We'll start writing verse 1. This is Hezekiah's introduction. It says, In the year of Hosea, son of Eliah, king of Israel. That's the king of the northern kingdom. So they're kind of giving you some comparison to compare him to. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. We'll skip down to verse 3. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Listen to what he did. Verse 4. It says, He removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah pole. These are the, the idols to these other gods. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. That's a side story, but there's this moment early in their history where Moses, who was a great leader, he has a moment where he creates this, uh, this bronze pole with a snake on it. Uh, and it was something God had commanded him to do. But it was kind of a piece of their history. The people had begun to worship that. Not the God who had freed them, but that, that bronze snake. Hezekiah says, I'm king now. We've got to change some things. This is what you need to know about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. Smiley face. Like he just walked into Walmart. There it is. Um, have you ever heard people talk about the vicious cycle? We call it the vicious cycle. I, I meet with people all the time just to talk about life, and it's interesting how often I'll run into someone who's going through something really bad, and, and, and they're in a low point in their life, and as you get to talk about them, what I find out is they're exactly like their parents. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, and, and you do, because you're them, and I'm them, okay? Because this is, this, is, this is what happens. We become what we're shown. That's a fact. And, and, and it's very difficult to get away from that. In fact, it's in a good way, um, but it's funny. You, you, you fight it, you're a kid, you're growing up, you're like, I will never be like my parents. Never, 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 never. And then one day you wake up and you're an adult, and you go, to, you go to open your mouth to talk to somebody, and your dad falls out. You're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm, I am my father. I am my mother. We can't avoid it, and sometimes it's good. If you had good parents, then that's awesome. If you had bad parents or you're in a bad scenario, it's the vicious cycle, Right? We get stuck in this cycle of the same thing happens over and over and over. It's generational. This is what had been going on in Ahaz's family for generations. Ahaz said, no, I'm done with that. We are finished with this vicious cycle. He looked at his dad and he said, dad, dad ruined it. Dad ruined the kingdom. He ruined our family. Worst of all, he's walked away from God. So this is what Hezekiah does. He tears down the high places you got to understand how a big deal this is. Imagine if, if someone just walked into someone else's place of worship and destroyed it, quote, by edict of the king. Do you think that was a popular decision? No. But he saw where the nation was going. He saw the fear that people had from the Assyrians. Worst of all, he saw the decline of the morality of the nation. And he said, no, we've got to break this cycle. He tore down the high places, he, he, he bans uh, worshiping at this, the, the sacred trees, uh, and, he, and, and the, the coolest thing that he did was uh, the, the pagan uh, demonic god 
spirit-worshiping people. They had taken the temple of God, and they had turned it into a place where they could worship these demonic spirits. And Ahaz said, no, we're cleaning the temple. And so he reinstates the priesthood of God. It's an amazing thing that he does, and I can't imagine that it was easy. But as a result, everything changed. Everything changed. That's why he gets a smiley face. See? Everything changes. Um, let, me take a, let me take a side road here for a second. I want to take us somewhere. This past week, um, I went to Chick-fil-A with my family. It was, what do they call it? National Dress Like a Cow Day? I don't know. Um, you dress like a cow, you get a Chick-fil-A sandwich. God bless America. You know, they're, make, they're making America better, one Chick-fil-A sandwich at a time. So you dress like a cow, you walk in. I walked in, I literally did this. My people. <laughs> and it's cool because everybody's like, hey, bro. And we're like, dress like cows. Nowhere else in the world can you do this. And we walk in. We went with our friends, Patrick and Ashley Harrison. And uh, a lot of you guys know them. And they've got three kids as well. And uh, we had a good time. And we're all dressed like cows, and, uh, which is totally normal. And, <laughs> and uh, I want to talk about their son, Pippin. Uh, Pippin, he's tiny. Uh, and he's about this tall. But he's, he's, uh, he's about as feisty as it comes. I love Pippin. He's always just trying to figure out what he can do next. And he's walking around. So he's, he's restless. He doesn't want to sit at the table anymore. And uh, we're at one of those high-top tables. And so there's four of us adults. The older kids are in the play place, and Pippin's doing what Pippin does, which is walk around. And so he's just walking around the restaurant and uh, greeting and meeting people. Uh, now, I don't want you to get the idea that he was off on his own. All the adults were watching him. But I saw something uh, kind of interesting happen. He was walking around for a minute. He wandered away from the table. And he's playing, and he's, people are talking to him because he's cute. And then this moment happened where he goes, He lost his bearings. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't find mom and dad. And what, what I imagine must have been the most terrifying moment. All he saw were adults dressed like cows. <laughs> and so, so he's just like, and I saw that this, this, uh, this, this, this moment of panic happened in his face. Like, now, his dad saw it too, hopped up, gave him a hug, picked him up, and he was fine. But here's the thing. I want to put you in that moment for a second because here's the thing. I've got a problem. I, I've got the same issue. I have a tendency to stray away from the things God has planned for me. Let's use this as a metaphor. See, God's got this table set for us. He has a plan that he wants. He's got his eye on us. But every now and then what happens is we begin to wander away from the table. Now, Pippin uh, found his dad. But you know what I do sometimes? I get over there where it's a little bit scary. Where maybe I stayed up too late and I'm a little bit angry and I got a bad attitude and I'm a jerk. Or maybe I'm a little stressed out, and I, and I just think I'm smarter than everybody else right now. If you're my friend right now, you're like, yep, yep, that's why he said that to me the other day. Uh, and, and, you know, I've got my weaknesses, and I begin to sin. It's when, it's when I'm tempted to fall into old habits and old addictions. And it's in this moment that I've got a choice to make. I can either turn around and try to go find the table, or I decide to do it on my own. Kids do this all the time. We tell our kids, if you get lost, what? Stay. <laughs> But that's not what I do all the time. I wander away from the table and I'm like, I can figure this out. Right? I try to fill myself with the things that make me happy, that make me fulfilled. Let me ask you a question. Where do you look for peace? Where do you look for confidence? Where do you go when you're looking for the answers to questions that you don't have the answers to? It's all, it's all fine and, and dandy in, in the moment to, to be philosophical and to pretend like you've got a good head on your shoulders. But I'm serious. When there are things that you just can't handle, where do you go? I think we panic a little bit. Now, here's what I know is true. God is sitting at the high top table. He's watching us the whole time. And I have been there many times where he just steps in and goes, this way. But this is what's happened to the nation of Israel. They've wandered away. King Ahaz has said, we're going to do it our way. There was this guy, uh, 
at, at my, my home church that I was telling you about a minute ago, and uh, he was a good old boy. He had a, we had a Sunday school hour before church, and maybe you grew up in a church like that. It's a pretty cool tradition, and before everybody went to their separate age-based Sunday school class, we'd all come together in the main sanctuary, and somebody would say something. Normally, we celebrated people's birthday, and we took up an offering because, you, you, man, you can't miss an opportunity to take up an offering, and we did that, and then, uh, and then, and then he would tell some devotional thought. What I love about this guy is he... He's just a good old boy, man. His thoughts were simple, straightforward. He had a strong uh, Eastern North Carolina accent. And he got up one week, and I will never forget it. I was 8 or 10 years old. It stuck with me to this day. He said, this week my washing machine quit working. About drove me crazy trying to figure out what was going on with it. So I got in there, took some things apart, started fiddling around, and there it was. A sock. A sock had got himself all wedged right up there in the mechanism. Wouldn't work proper. You know what I did? I just had to reach in there, pull out the sock. Now, she works like a dream. (laughs) And then he said, you know, when it comes to God, we let all kinds of things get caught up in the wrong places. It makes us so we don't work right. And we got to get in there. And we got to pull out the sock. And then he had a sock in his pocket. (laughs) We got to pull out the sock. I was like... (laughs) <laughs> this man is a prophet. And that has stuck with me ever since. But that's exactly what Hezekiah has done. He looks at the nation of Israel. And he's like, things aren't working anymore. Families are falling apart. We're terrified. We used to be the most mighty nation here in this region. We conquered this region. One castle at a time. If you don't know the story of the nation of Israel coming to power, man, you should read it. It is how God delivers them day after day after day after day after day. And Hezekiah is reading that. And he's like, this is our history, man. Something's wrong. And it was wrong because some wrong stuff had gotten jammed up into the wrong places. And it was in the faith and in the heart of the people. And I wonder, what is it that might be jammed up in your life today? I'm not trying to paint you with a broad brush and say you're all messed up. Maybe you are. I've been all messed up a couple different times in my life. But is there something that might be jammed in there so you're not just working quite right? See, God wants you to work like a dream. He does. He designed you to work in a specific way. You're his special creation. And he loves you and he wants you to work in a specific way. But I wonder what might be jammed up in there. Uh, Pascal is a French philosopher. He's credited with saying uh, this phrase that I loved for a long time. He says this, that there's a God-shaped hole in everyone that only God can fill. There's a God-shaped hole in everyone that only God can fill. And I think he was really onto something with that. Like, I don't care what background you're from. It's very likely that you've got something in your life that you cling to for comfort. It's because there's a space in our life that we can't quite bridge by ourselves. So we try to bridge it with other things. It might be religion. God never intended us to bridge that gap with religion, a checklist of how good we can be. It's a God-shaped hole, not a rules-shaped hole. We fill it with all kinds of things, relationships, habits. We've got friends who are drowning in the bottom of a bottle. Or staying up too late, looking on websites they don't need to be on, or trying to be on Facebook, making themselves look way cooler than they are by taking sweet-looking selfies and writing long statuses that makes it look like they run the government. But we cannot fill that hole with anything that we try to fill it with. This, this philosopher wasn't an apostle. He didn't write anything in the Bible, but I think what he says is so scripturally sound. This is a hole in our life that only God can fill. 
And it's amazing what God can do in a life that's willing to say, I've been doing it wrong, but I'm willing to turn my face to you and try to do it right. Jesus said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else you need will be given to you. You don't have to go and fight for a tooth and claw. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll bless you with what you need. Look how it worked out for Hezekiah. He pulls the sock out. Second Kings chapter, uh, what chapter is it? 16, starting in verse 5. It says, so Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Hold on. Did you hear that? There was no one like him before him or after him. We give a lot of praise to like King David, King Solomon for being pretty powerful. This is a book of the Bible that all Jews ascribe to. And King Hezekiah has gone down as the greatest king of them all. And I don't know if it was because he was so awesome of a king. If you read the rest of his story, which is pretty awesome, I totally recommend it in 2 Kings. Uh, but what you find is he also returns the nation to a state of economic prosperity. The people begin to find a morale that they didn't have before. Families get stronger. They have better relations with other countries. It's amazing. Why? Was it because Hezekiah was a great king? Or was it because Hezekiah said, above all things, I will be a God chaser. Let's read the rest of the verse about his life. In verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him and he was successful in everything he undertook. See, by being a God chaser, man, it's not always easy, but it is always worth it. Because that's the life God designed us to live. There's nothing that we can build, nothing that we can do, nothing that we can conquer or learn or plan that can even compare to the greatness that God can do in our life. What if we reevaluate? What if we reevaluate and say, what is it that I'm chasing? What is it that I'm trying to fill that gap with and instead say, I want to put God at the center? I want to let you know something about Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah wasn't perfect. Uh, he made some mistakes. You read about one of them that he made. It was a pretty boneheaded mistake. And uh, I, I say that. I don't know what I would have done when I was the king. I don't know. But he makes a mistake and he gets the Assyrians pretty upset. The king of Assyria basically comes down on him. And uh, this is what the king of Assyria does. He sends 185,000 soldiers to Hezekiah's front door. 185,000 soldiers to the front door in Jerusalem. With a letter from King Sennacherib. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, I guess the empire, the emperor. And, and, the, and the letter makes it to Hezekiah. And basically the letter says this. Uh, hey, we're here to destroy you because you've stepped away from us. And we were kind of letting you off the hook for a little bit. Uh, looked like you were doing your own religious thing over there. Uh, but no, we're Assyria, and we do one of two things. You either bow down to us, or we mow you over. We're here to mow you over now. How terrifying must that have been? I can't even imagine what 185,000 people looks like. I've been to, like, professional sporting events, and, and the biggest of, of uh, football stadiums hold, like, 100,000 people. It's just a lot of people. And they're not just like, go, sports team. They're like, we're going to chop your head off. Right? <laughs> These are angry fans. Hezekiah's got a choice to make. I'm so glad he made the one he made. This is what he does. He takes that letter. And in some of the mistakes he'd made, he tried to fix it himself in the past. But this is what he does. He takes it into the temple. This is later in Hezekiah's life. And he lays it down on the temple floor. And he brings some of his closest advisors with us. I think some of the priests were there too. And he's like, guys, we got to pray. He takes this letter, which is an ultimatum from the most powerful man in the world, that we are here to destroy you. 
and he lays it down. I, I want to point out something. Hezekiah could have been scared for a lot of reasons. Hezekiah could have been scared because, it, man, it would be embarrassing to go to the king's luncheon next week. <laughs> be like, dude, I saw what Sennacherib did <laughs> to you. Like that, it was to save face. Like he could have been praying for those reasons. It could have been because as the king, he would have been the one who would have been tortured the worst. You know, it put a lot of reasons he could have been terrified. But I, I want to do, I love that this prayer was recorded for us because it is so simple. This is from 2 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 15. This is the prayer. Hezekiah, I imagine, probably crying. He's dirty. This is a custom. They would cover themselves in ashes as they just humbled themselves before God. And he just says very simply, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, which are like angels, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord. And see, listen to the words Sennacherib, he's the emperor of Assyria. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord God, deliver us from his hand. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. What was Hezekiah's primary concern? Not safety. Not winning the battle. But that through it all, God would get the glory. What a bold move for a leader in the world stage. When was the last time one of our government leaders did that? When was the last time you did that as you led your family? God, I want to do this thing that's godly and, and, and maybe we need to support this ministry or this nonprofit or help this family. But right now, I don't know if we can pay the bills. Right now, I don't know if I have the free time. Right now, I don't have the relational energy to do that. So God, please give me the energy. Please give me the money. Please help. What if our prayer became, God, just show up. Just show up so that everybody, including myself, can know that you, Lord, are God and no one else is. These other things we lean on, that they're not God. But that you are. That's his prayer. As you read the rest of his story, I'm not going to re read it because I, I, I believe in encouraging you to read the Bible. So go read. Uh, man, it's like, uh, it's like Lord of the Rings, man. Read that story. It's insane. But, you know, I'll tell you what happened. God won the battle for them. In fact, it's not in any way that you might have imagined. God actually defeated this battle, uh, this, this, this army of 185,000 soldiers, and King Hezekiah's army did not have to lift one sword to do it. It was a miracle. Freaked the king of Assyria out. <laughs> he was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Something about this God is apparently bitter, better, better than any God I've come in contact with before. And he left and the nation of Israel returned to a place where they were worshiping God. And all the people who maybe in their closets were still worshiping the old gods of the Assyrians said, Oh, you Lord, you are God. What does it mean to be a God chaser? I'm going to look at Hezekiah's life. We can learn a lot of different things. And, and I love just to put it in your camp, put it on, on your table. Say, look, weed through this. Unpack it. But I, I think there are two things that Hezekiah does that we can close up with today that we can learn from. And the first one is this. Uh, the first one is that Hezekiah chose to tear down the high places. 
And I'm just going to ask you, like, straight up this morning, uh, let me point out to you right now, in your seat there was a little piece of paper, a little, uh, just a, a quarter of a sheet of printer paper. And if you, if you would, if you grab that, uh, this would be kind of something that you could interact and take home with you. Uh, and there was a pen in that packet, too. So you're going to need that in just a second. But I, I'm just going to ask you and, and let you search your own soul for this. What are some things that maybe you've leaned on for comfort and peace in the past that are not God? And I'm not saying that these are all bad things. That God gives us good things, good people to lean on. He gives us good church families to be a part of. That's all, that's all well and good. But I'm curious, what are the high places in your life? What are the things in your life, maybe let's just call it the sock, that needs to be pulled out? And you can write these down if you want to or not. This is a tool some people are visual learners and you want to do it. But I'm just curious if maybe on one side of that paper you could write down a few of the things that are high places. And this is what Hezekiah did. He said, I'm tearing them down. Today, there's a relationship in my life that I need to end. There's an account that I have online that I've got to cancel. There's a payment that I'm making for something that is ruining my life. I need to sell it. What is it? Hezekiah tore down the high places, and I'm going to tell you, it wasn't easy. But it was worth it. The second thing is this. You got that sheet of paper? Hezekiah got a similar sheet of paper. I imagine it was big and all scrolly and written with fancy pens and stuff. But he got it, and it was, it was basically uh, that that you wrote down. It was like, here's the ultimatum. Here's your high place. Will you bow down or not? What Hezekiah did was, instead of trying to fold it up and put it in his pocket, save it for later, instead of trying to make it into a paper airplane and say, how can I make this work so that it's useful? He said, I'm done with this. I've got to lay it down at the feet of the living God and let him handle it for me. I wonder if there is maybe a commitment that you can make today in your own heart that says, I need to be a God chaser. I need to be a God chaser, and so I'm going to lay down this prayer before God. God, show up. And maybe on that other side of the paper, maybe what's what you could write down is a word, a phrase. Maybe you can write out a prayer. I don't know. But something that you can physically do right now, not just listen to me talk, but going, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this thing. At the end of our services every week, we have a time where we take time to reflect uh, on what the message was about. And I want to tell you guys as we go through this manifesto series, this is about us as a community unifying around a central idea. And this is the first part of our manifesto this week. Our manifesto is that together we are God chasers. In fact, if you're with me on that, can you say it together with me? You don't have to. I'm going to tell you, if you're a visitor or like you're weirded out by like, man, this is kind of church stuff. Am I joining a cult? No, you're not joining a cult. But you can just listen along. But if this is your heart and if you want to stand both feet solid on this ground, if you'll join me, let's say it together. Ready, go. Together, we are God chasers. Let's say it one more time. Together, we are God chasers. And the word together is very deliberate, guys. It's so hard to do by yourself. Maybe you need to lean on somebody today. Like God seems so distant for you. You know what's really cool? If you came here today and, and you don't like do church or God's kind of distant for you, uh, you might feel like, I'm a long way from being a God chaser. <laughs> I think I'm in the wrong place. Can I tell you something? Being a God chaser is not necessarily about how fast you're running. It's about which direction you're facing. And maybe for you, the chase is more like one step at a time right now. Man, I've been there recently. Believe me, I'll tell you the story. And maybe just one step is all you need. Let me give you an option. Come back next week. We'll talk about God's grace. Maybe that's what you need. One step next week. But turn your face to God. Together, we are God chasers. What are the high places that you need to tear down? What are the socks you need to pull out? And what is the thing that you need to lay before God and say, God, between me and you, this is my commitment. What I want to encourage you to do is in a second we're going to have a chance where we do reflection. And, and you can sit right in your seat and you can just kind of 
think about this. We also invite you, if you're a Venture Church regular, to, uh, to stand up and go over to one of these four stations, and we've got communion available. See, the beautiful thing about being a God chaser is that God didn't say, I want you to aimlessly, mindlessly chase me. He said, no, actually, I'm willing to break the ice and go first. God said, I'm going to come to earth and chase after your heart. Romans chapter 5 says that at, at the time when we needed it the most, God came down and he laid down his life for us while we were still in our sin. God knows where we are. He chased us. He said, I want to make the path so that you can follow me back home. And at this time, every week, what we do is we take time to celebrate that. So if you're already a God chaser and you said, Jesus, I'm all in for you, I want to encourage you at this time to also get up and we're going to go to these stations and you can have communion, a piece of bread that is a tangible reminder, a symbolism of God's broken body for us and a cup of juice that represents his poured blood on our behalf. But I want to add a third thing that we haven't typically done. That if you've got that piece of paper, maybe something that would be healthy for you is to take it and to kind of crumple it up in your hand. And walk over to one of these tables and there's these little trash cans. And say, God, I prayed over this and it's yours. And drop it in the trash can. I'm going to be a God chaser. I want to encourage you to do one of those things at this time. Either stay at your, I'm going to say a prayer for you first, but just to, to stay in your seat and just think. Maybe get up and have communion and celebrate Jesus chasing us or even take that paper to the trash can. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and the fact that you give us uh, the, the opportunity to love you back. I know I certainly don't deserve it. Thank you for stories like Hezekiah, who remind us that um, there are still good people who can still do good things even when the world is bad. And so as terrifying as it is to sit and watch the evening news or hear about what's happening around the world sometimes, Lord, may we have the courage to stand up as a community and say, no, we're chasing God. We're putting you at the center, Lord. We want to make you what we're all about and make you accessible to anybody who's got questions about you, that we won't be a community of people who's closed off and people walked in and go, man, I'm just uncomfortable here. But instead they walk in and go, I got questions, but I, I guess that's okay. But may that be the heartbeat of what we do as we chase you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.